Christ above us, Christ below us, Christ before us, Christ behind us, Christ beside us, Christ within us. Amen. Please be seated. In our family, that is all saints, in our family that's the Episcopal Church, we're known for a few things that I kind of wish we weren't known for. One of them is we disappear during the summer. Um, and, you know, in Atlanta and in, in big cities, sometimes I guess that was a function of climate and people having houses and things. But another thing that we're also known for is when we hear these stories, like the story of Abram and Isaac and Jacob, that we're going to hear this summer week after week. And if you come more than one week in a row, you'll get a nice cereal um, they're difficult. And, and I've often found myself turning the volume down on these really long, weighty passages of Scripture just to listen to the nice things that Jesus has to say that make me feel good. Because these Hebrew Scripture stories don't make us feel good when we read them. So I want to talk today a little, first of all, about... about <clears throat> some ways in which we can think of them and ways in which we can read them. So like it or not, there are stories. One of the major heretics in Christendom was a man named Marcion who said that the God of the Old Testament was indeed a different God who was violent and mean and that the God of Jesus was another God entirely. And of course, we in the church decided that was heresy So we still pay attention to and we think the Hebrew Scriptures are important, and I want you to think they're important because I I have a great love for them um, that I had to learn, actually, uh, through uh, some help from a lot of people. So maybe I'd like to pay it forward today and give you some of that help. One way we can think of these stories is family stories. Now think about it for a second. I mean, we all probably don't have in our family history an incident of child sacrifice with the firstborn son in our family. And if I do find that going on, I'll be making a call to defects really soon. And we don't have stories of weddings and betrothals taking place because a man asked a little girl for water, and she probably was a little girl, and she says, sure, take some water, fine. And I'll, I'll water your camels. Really an odd way uh, to form and How I Met Your Mother story. And you know, How I Met Your Mother stories are one kind of family story, right? We all have those stories. We all have stories about how we met our spouse, our partner, our best friend sometimes. My best friend and I have a a story of our origins. Priest, you know, if you want to kill about a good half an hour, ask them the story about how they were called to the priesthood. And, you know, it's funny because one of the greatest pieces of advice uh, my bishop gave me once, um, the bishop who ordained me, uh, Bishop Neal, as he said, I was in a very uh, stuck and kind of dark place in my own formation as a priest, in my own uh, continuing formation. And he said, go back to your, your call story. 
when you get into these places because you'll learn some things from that story. That story for me is a family story too. And scripture is like a family story too because, you know, we all have family stories we want to forget, right? I mean, some of us probably experienced some of them on the 4th of July this year. Um, But things that we just don't talk about, right? And keeping secrets, you know, it's not a good thing. But there's some things that are just family stories, right? And I think that we can also look at these Old Testament stories like these kinds of family stories, except these are stories that we have to continue telling because they're there in our Holy Scriptures and we open them and we're, we're treated to them in different, differing cycles, uh, particularly during the summer. So how do we hold on to these family stories? Why do we hold on to them? I mean, like the family stories that we hold on to in our own families, they're important because they establish themes for our family. They establish history for our family. Sometimes maybe even establish some some good precedents. We look on them with amusement and embarrassment sometimes. But take all these stories and put them together. And you know, our story has another whole chapter that ends, has a happy ending, of course. We put them all together, and they tell us who we are. Isaac and Abram's story, then, I want to offer, tells us who we are in spite of its difficulties. I mean, you open this up and you see all kinds of things that, that make you want to turn the volume down, don't you? You see a sort of patriarchy that... Thank goodness it's foreign to us here in the West. You see uh, women being objectified, a kind of marriage that's pretty foreign to our understanding, though the happy ending of this story is that it says Isaac loved her. But, I mean, if you've read anything about the history of marriage, I mean, people have only been getting married for love over the last hundred years or so. And whenever love was a part of an arranged marriage like this, it was treated as a divine accident. And you get further into the patriarchy because the blessing that they offer to her basically says, may you have lots of boys. That's hard. Especially for those of us who, who, who are female and those of us who have females in our family. How do they read this? I sometimes wonder why women even bother sometimes reading the Old Testament. Um, it's difficult. But let's give this story another look, another chance. Abram sends an unnamed servant. The, the, the rabbis say he was named Eleazar because that's a servant who was painted as Abram's number one servant. And he sends this servant to uh, his own family. Yet another difficult theme of, of, of incest here, um, although they were probably cousins. Um, and this servant comes up with some really novel ways for choosing a bride that aren't real consistent with our experience. And of course, she, she takes the water and he says, this is her. And I'll bet she wound up just happening to be really pretty. And he puts the ring in her nose and on her arms, which uh, kind of denotes that now she belongs to this tribe. And they go to her, her father and her father and mother reluctantly. Uh, if you read the whole chapter, agree to it. And she goes with them with her nurse, and Isaac loved her. 
But we can't read this story. I was horrified uh, looking online at some of the commentaries that I often use, and there was one, and actually wrote a letter to the editor of this commentary series. There was one that wanted preachers to preach about marriage this week. What am I going to say about marriage from this? Um, so we're not going to look at these, these scriptures as a, as a guidebook or as what Brian McLaren, a, really, a theologian I, I really respect a great deal, calls a, a constitutional reading of scripture. We can't approach it, as he says, as an annotated code telling us how to find a wife or, or how to get closer to God. He says that it's a, a library of poems and prophecies and histories and fables and parables and letters and sayings and quarrels. You see, sometimes in, in the more liberal parts of God's church, and I'll own, I'm one of those liberal Christians. We like to say progressive. We don't read the Bible in the same way that a lot of folks up and down the Peachtree Corridors church, churches might read it. Some who might say they read it literally or with what they call the infallibility or the inerrancy of the scriptures, whatever that means. So those of us who read it a little differently, sometimes we cast these stories aside at a great great cost, I think, just because they're difficult or uncomfortable or inconsistent with our experience, we don't give them that second look. And we say even uh, in, in our creeds and in our prayer book that the scriptures are a narrative They're a narrative, then, of what God has been doing with humanity since creation and of what God continues to do with creation. If we can think of scriptures as a narrative, as a story, as God's family story with us, then maybe then we can turn and take that second look to them. So what is the narrative that continues in Rebecca's betrothal story today? Well, I think there's a lot of things that we can draw from it. I I, I think one is is that God is saying that that important relationships like marriages, uh, people, tribes coming together now doesn't happen through a violent means. I mean, a bride was normally, uh, marriages normally happen because you might have had two tribes or two sets of people who were trying to kill each other and they decided on a truce and so they sealed it with a marriage. And that's not why this marriage happens. This servant, this humble man, goes out and he finds... Uh, one of the foremothers of the very children of Israel, Rebecca, who's, who's the mother of Jacob and Esau, who's, who's kind of the mover and shaker you're going to discover behind Jacob's ascendance uh, into Israel and, and behind his uh, becoming Israel. This marriage happens through some things like common generosity and someone moving across tribal lines and even a young lady taking a risk, which was a huge risk for her, with a stranger and offering him water. Wells were places that, that, that were great borders of, between tribes, and you couldn't just drink out of someone's well. You had to ask permission. And here this young lady is the gatekeeper into this, her tribe and her family. She is the gatekeeper into the continuation of the nation of Israel. So maybe if we read it this way, if we read Scripture not as an annotated code, if we read it as a narrative, we learn some wonderful things for ourselves. And we also see one other thing here. Abram's servant seeks out God not in chariots of fire or the stars or in casting lots in in, in the temple or in uh, taking temple sacrifice, but in something just really normal and everyday. 
through water. What's more basic than water? And I think we hear in this narrative of a God who wants desperately to enter our existence through the common and ordinary as well as the extraordinary. Through the beautiful vistas we see over the green hills of Ireland and on top of Mount Brendan when we're on pilgrimage. And even as we drive down the road in our commute through songs that come on the radio, through things we happen to read. When someone just says the right thing to us at the right time, and even sometimes when we open Scripture and we read something that speaks to our heart's desire and our heart's wanting, and even in common bread and wine that we bless every week and we pray together every week and we eat and drink every week. So during this telling of our family stories this summer, I hope that even for we postmodern, scientific, and I think really intelligent people, we can continue the conversation that God began with us in the beginning of time when all things were created. And that we can find, even in these stories, that God continues her good work among us. And we can see within them God's creative power working and acting in our stories. Amen.